Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to Monsters Who Murder for a very special edition as we look at the Claremont serial killer. This happened just last week. Bradley Edwards was found guilty on two counts of murder and not guilty on one count of murder. Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, you actually covered this for us on the Ben Robin Robbo show live as the news was breaking. (laughs) Yes, that was really awkward. I had to come out of my office and had all these people staring at me while I'm talking into my phone. (laughs) But I'm I'm so glad I could do that live for you guys. So it's always great to be with you three boys. So, yep, anytime. Well, I appreciate it so much. And I want our listeners to hear how that breaking news went down because I think everybody needs to understand in Perth, this was rolling news coverage. This was being covered by the networks. They had reporters and anchors outside the courtroom. Uh, A live feed was not made available of the judgment, which um, is strange because a camera was in the courtroom and that was allowed out later. And we've certainly heard the judge's comments, haven't we, Amanda? Yeah, we have. So we're actually going to play those a bit later in this podcast. But, yes, it it was quite weird. It it was like we were going blind kind of thing because there was reporters doing, like, um, live updates on websites and sort of talking to cameras, but... Until we were able to hear it, it it sort of didn't seem real. Yeah. Well, what was actually happening was reporters inside the courtroom were relaying what the judge was saying to the anchors outside who were repeating (laughs) it to the viewers. You know, we... Oh, I don't know how people can do that. (laughs) We are in 2020, people. Let the live feed happen. It's more of an American thing where it would be, but Australia is still a little bit antiquated. But first of all, have a listen to how Amanda reported on the breaking news on the Ben Robin Robbo Show. You had your doubts that he would be found guilty of Sarah's murder. Why was that? Yeah, that's right, because um, with no body, there's often the issue that uh, it's hard to determine that someone's dead if you don't have a body. So I knew that that one was going to be the hard one to get across the line. So uh, the fact that he was found not guilty there, it means, sadly, that that's a double jeopardy law now. So unless they do find a body, they won't be able to ever... um, put him before the courts again. So he's currently officially only guilty of two murders. And Amanda, the two convictions were based on DNA evidence, but weren't there claims that some of that evidence had been contaminated? Yeah, there was um, a lot of hoo-haring about the the evidence that was uh, collected purely because some of the cases had been mixed in with other cases and they claimed that there was a possibility that there was a cross-contamination between a different case and this one because they found um, evidence in another totally unrelated case uh, regarding a male victim that they go, well, hang on a sec, there has to be out here. But they were able to provide uh, evidence that it come down to computer error and not actual contamination. So 
that was quickly quashed and obviously the judge thought so too. So Amanda, we know that Edwards has pled guilty to two other sexual assaults, uh, hasn't he? So did, did that have any kind of, do you think, bearing on what happened today? I think it did a bit because um, it, that's how they were able to provide the evidence that, that this was like a escalating case and that they were able to show that, that um, there was the, that absolute um, normal sexual psychopath uh, pattern that was occurring here. And because of those cases, they were able to link it through the kimono, which was a very important thing that was actually taken very yeah. early in the case. Um, this was in 1987 that, that that was actually stolen. So that sort of provided that, that um, timeline to show how he went from a, a peeping Tom to a, a attacker, to a sexual status, to a serial killer. And once again, Amanda, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Anytime, as I said, I'm, I'm sure I should have a sort of Thursday afternoon, Ben Robin Robbo crime segment, but, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Well, you never know what's around the corner. You never know what's around the corner. No, hey, look, exactly. we've had the headlines. We've had the verdict. We don't have the sentencing yet. That won't happen until December, the late December. In a moment, we're going to go through the case and everything we know. This is a special edition of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And Robin Robbo. It's the most talked about TV show that's not on TV. And I think you guys are amazing. With raw, honest opinions. This was not a mistake. This was a lie. Exclusive stories. Some industry insiders have been talking about this. Is that a Ben Robin Robbo exclusive? And plenty of famous faces. I'm not wasting these gold moments on 60 Minutes. (laughs) The Ben Robin Robbo Show is the new way to stream your news. This is the stuff that headlines are made of. Live every Monday to Thursday. Thursday at 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Ticker TV or Facebook and Twitter at BRR Show. Watch live or on demand. It's Alright, now to our special profile on the Claremont serial killer. The arrest came spectacularly and almost out of the blue, almost 20 years after the disappearances and murders of three women in Claremont, a suburb of Perth a suburb of Perth, Western Australia. Bradley Robert Edwards was arrested on December 22, 2016 and charged with two of the murders, that of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon. And last week, September 24, 2020, almost four years after his arrest, Edwards was found guilty of the murders of Jane and Kira as well as the assault and related charges. He was found not guilty of the suspected murder of Sarah Spears. Amanda, this is a huge case in Australia and it's been going now for more than 32 years from the first known sexual assault. Do you think last week's verdict will bring a sigh of relief to the people of WA? Um, absolutely. I mean, there is the cost involved in this case. I think um, the current tally is up to $14 million for this case and it's going to cost a lot more because there is going to be appeals and there is going to be... Um, Do you think he judge- will appeal? Absolutely, 100%. Um, I, it's... 
it's almost um, the system is designed to do that. So he will have um, there's a certain period that he has to now appeal the judgment, and then there will be a, a time frame after the sentencing that he can appeal that as mm-hmm. well. So this isn't the last we're going to hear of him. I mean, Ivan Malat was still going up until his very dying breath that he was still appealing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it's something that will continue and it's going to pop up. But I think the agony and and the trauma for Western Australia as a whole. I think we've seen the end of it. I mean, it doesn't say that next week we're not going to have another serial killer, sadly. Um, but I think for this case, you know, this has been a long time coming. As as you said, it's been 32 years that this case has been going on. So it's absolutely quite extraordinary for, for it, it to take so long, you know. But um, none of these outcomes, though, are going to bring any relief to the families. I mean, we, we talk about things like this, but their grief will continue, you know, everyone else now will move on, mm. but these families are going to have to live this for the rest of their lives as, as they have for the last 20, 30 years. So, um, but they know now that um, it's that, that next stage that they're going through now, they, that they do have some of the answers and there has been some pieces from this case that, that they didn't know until the trial. But, um, you know, closure I don't think is such a thing. Yeah, fair enough. Look, we mentioned sentencing is reported to be taking around or expected to take around take place around the end of December. Do you expect it to be the toughest sentence of life without parole? Um, well, Western Australia actually doesn't have a mandatory life sentence. So um, a life sentence in WA is a minimum of 10 years, actually. So, I mean, it, it does go up to 20 years, you know, but they have what they call um, strict security life imprisonment. So, you know, when you look at cases like Catherine Burney and Valerie Parashmuti, um, these are uh, cases that sort of provide that, that backbone that they will likely give him many multiple life sentences. But sadly... Um, they still have a parole. They don't have life without parole. They are fighting for it, um, but as far as I'm aware, it hasn't come in yet. Well, it's funny you mention that because WA is known for its tough sentencing, but as you say, they don't have a never-to-be-released like other states do. Yeah, I mean, there's people, like I said before, Catherine Burney, you know, she can apply for parole, you know, and though it's unlikely to occur, um, there has been other cases where people have actually been given parole. I mean, there's 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 one killer now. Um, he's only known as F um, because he was 15 at the time that he he killed someone, um, and he was sentenced to life and only served 22 years before being released. So um, there's also Dante Arthur's who killed um, a young girl in a shopping centre toilet, and he was given life with um, a 13 year non parole period. So he can actually apply for parole, but of course it has been refused. But um, I think that what we're going to see is probably a precedent set with this harshest sentence possible for Edwards. This really is an interesting case, particularly due to how long it's taken to get to this point. And we have no taped confession, but you've been able to find some of the court transcripts, so we can go over those. Yeah, I mean, this is is the best we're going to get in Australia until, you know, FOIs go out and we're able to get some of the tape recordings. And if we do, we will definitely revisit this case. But, you know, this is as close as we can get to first-person stage. I mean, we can go through lots of press releases and stuff like that. But um, I always like to get to that first person. And with this one, court transcripts is the best we've got. Absolutely. Did he confess at all? Well, no, he didn't actually, and he's maintained his innocence throughout this, you know. However, in the defence's documents, um, there's actually 
admissions and they were, you know, that um, he did admit that on, you know, between the 14th and 15th of February 1988, um, he did not have consent from any person to enter a dwelling house and that's one of his first victims. And then in February um, he also did not have consent to rape someone, which is, you know, quite an odd thing to put into a document, but this is what we do with, with legal documents. He um, was also on that same date not um, had no permission to actually um, engage in any sexual acts and so there's things like this. Now, having these admissions does not imply guilt and that's what we have to remember. So he said, I did enter that house, I didn't have permission to do so, I didn't have permission to uh, attack and assault the victim who is known as um, KJG, um, but he admits that he was there. So it's 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 one of those legal wranglings, but um, this would actually play into the prosecution's game later. Right. Okay, so let's get started. We have the charges on which he's been found guilty of some and not of others. Can you take us through those, please? Okay, well, um, count one was on the 15th of February 1988 um, in Huntingdale. So uh, Edwards actually broke in and entered the dwelling house of EWH, which is another name given to have the same victim, um, with an intent to commit an offence um, and an offence was committed that night. So count two was on the same day at the same place as count one. Um, he unlawfully deprived ALH of her personal liberty which is the attack and assault and then count three is on the 12th of february 1995 at claremont and elsewhere he unlawfully detained um kjg that that we just spoke about and then on the same day as count number three at Karakata, the um edwards sexually penetrated kjg without her consent penetrating her vagina with his penis i mean they get really spe- specific with these counts um count five on the same date um it, Edwards sexually penetrated KJG without her consent by penetrating her anus with his penis. I'm sorry, guys, this is going to get brutal. Um, Count six, that on or about uh, 27th of January 1996 at Claremont and elsewhere, uh, Edwards willfully murdered Sarah Jane Spears, which we will get to later. Which he was found not guilty for. Yes, he was found not guilty. But these are just the counts, so we, Mm -hmm. we can say these so um on or about 9th of june 1996 at claremont and elsewhere uh edwards willfully murdered jane louise rimmer and then our final count is count eight and on 15th of march 1997 at claremont and elsewhere edwards willfully murdered uh, kira eilish glennon yeah now edwards had pleaded guilty to some of those charges already hadn't he yeah, so um, during the trial, because as we know, this trial went for months and months and months, um, last October he actually pleaded guilty to those first five counts. So those first five counts are um, entering someone's house and then sexually assaulting um, two victims. So one of them was, was um, assaulted in her home. The other one was actually um, taken and, and assaulted elsewhere. So um, by doing this, um, it actually plays into the defence's part. So they were then able to have these cases split and separated. So um, he was happy to, well, not happy, but he was encouraged to plead guilty to those cases because they could be proven. And that was go- going to be a lot of hoo-ha for no reason. So they said plead guilty to those and we'll fight these other charges because um, there's evidence that is going to suggest later that there's a lot more to this. So um, he pleaded mm. guilty to the easy ones to get them out of the road. But I really think though, you know, you still have the presumption of innocence, this was going to be something that they were going to be easily proven, so they just sort of pulled them out. Okay. So with those counts, let's have a listen to Justice Stephen Hall deliver his verdicts for the murders. The verdicts will be as follows. Stand up, please, Mr Edwards. 
on count six that on or about the 27th of January 1996 at Claremont and elsewhere, you willfully murdered Sarah Ellen Spears. My verdict is that you are not guilty. On count seven, that on or about the 9th of June 1996 at Claremont and elsewhere, you willfully murdered Jane Louise Rimmer. My verdict is that you are guilty. <clears throat> on count eight, that on or about the 15th of March 1997 at Claremont and elsewhere, you willfully murdered Kira Eilish Glennon. My verdict is that you are guilty. You can sit down. Amanda, what was Edward's response to the verdicts? Well, it's quite strange. Now, Edwards threw out his trial and at, at the time of the verdicts, he stood still. Now, he did not move. He would move his eyes sometimes, but very rarely he sat very still. And as we know, a lot of killers do this. They don't move at all. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here talking to you on camera and my hands are going wild and crazy and I'm moving around, you know, but a lot of people don't do this. And he had a stillness that actually um, freaked people out a bit that he was so calm and, and, and collected. Now, um, when he got the Spears not guilty verdict, which is what one of the first ones that we just heard, he thought he'd won. He thought if they said not guilty ah. to that one, there was the opportunity that the other two. So there was this sort of brief moment that he sort of almost had a hiccup, um, but he then went back to, to his stoicism and there he, he remained like he had throughout the whole trial. Though the case started with the first attack, there is another event that will tie several of the cases together. A few streets away from where the first attack would occur, another woman was repeatedly targeted by Edwards. Yeah, so um, a lot of these cases are actually going to be in the in walking distance, basically, from Edwards' home. You know, but he was actually going to a woman's home repeatedly and taking items from her, her clothesline, like... Once a week, he would go and take more items from her. And these items would actually tie several of, of these cases together. What was he taking? Um, well, he actually went to her home over a four-week period between January and February 1988. And she would actually go out to her clothesline and find pieces that had disappeared. Now, he took two bras, he took four pieces of undies, he no, took right. three pairs of pantyhose and a satin three-quarter kimono with oriental flowers embroidered on each side. Now, now the, the kimono, that's extremely important to this case, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and, and I just got goosebumps knowing you're going. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get excited. Um, yeah, Edwards would actually wear it during several of the attacks and housebreaking events. So this is what would pull everything together. Now, I've got to ask this. He repeatedly went to this woman's home. Why do you think he didn't rape her or attack her? Um, well, I think this is about his escalation. So ah, which we often talk about this. So he started yeah. just by taking the underwear and presumably getting some sexual gratification from exactly. that. Exactly. It's yeah. It's 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 called being a peeping tom, basically. Yeah. That, that 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 that's layperson's words for it. So it's about being able to sort of. Um, have that danger of, of going in and stealing these items. He knows what she looks like. He has her underwear. And so, you know, there is that sexual element, as you were saying, and, and it's about that excitement. And that will keep him going for quite some time. But then it's not enough. Yeah, well, but then there's the attack at Hollywood Hospital. 
Yeah, so um, this is in May 1990 now. A woman who was working as a social worker at Hollywood Hospital was attacked. Now, she was on shift when Edwards arrived, you know, and he was there as a Telstra technician to do some work. So he was just there to, you know, fix plugs and things like that. And when he he was done, he asked her where the bathroom was and she sort of said, yeah, yeah, it's over there, go, see, see you later kind of thing. And then she sort of looked up and he was there again and he grabbed her, he pushed a cloth over her mouth and actually tried to drag her towards the toilet. But he did, but he stopped. Yeah, he did. He he actually sort of got her almost there. She knew what was about to happen. You know, she was screaming and panicking and he just sort of stopped and said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, um, and sort of walked away and left, you know. And this woman was then haunted for that for the rest of her lives, regardless of what he, he had achieved. It was enough to terrify her. Yeah, and he was actually arrested and charged with assault. Yeah, he was. So um, he he pleaded guilty to the attack and he was sentenced to two years probation. So, you know, this wasn't going to do anything to deter him from, from the path that he'd set himself. Mm. All right, let's move to the other events and we can start with the case which is referred to in the court notes as the Huntingdale Offences or the Huntingdale Prowler case. Can you give me some further information on that? Um, yeah, well, in February uh, 12, 1995, Edwards actually entered a home in Hunt- Huntingdale. He'd actually um, he'd actually stalked this victim for quite some time and we will refer to her as ALH. And he knew she was home and the victim was 19. Now, he wasn't, you know, we're, we're talking 20-odd years ago, so um, he was around the same age too. And mm. she was asleep and Edwards actually attacked her, you know, and the victim was actually living with her family in the home. So hang on, he actually attacked with other people in the house? Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely crazy, you know. So what he, he did was um, he entered through an external door that wasn't locked and then silently walked through the house and shut all the bedroom doors of the rest of the family members before he headed into the bedroom of his victim. Wow. Now, um, ALH was actually lying face down and Edwards actually jumped on her and straddled her. Uh, he locked her down by placing his knees tight against her body. He put one hand over her mouth. Um, he ha- had actually tried to put a, a gag in her, her mouth but failed. And so he used the other hand to actually hold her head still, sort of like pushed into the bed with, with, with one hand over her mouth. So um, he said nothing to her during this attack. And when the victim was able to actually get one of her hands free and struck out and started scratching him... Um, Edwards then fled. But he made an error, didn't he? Well, he did. I mean, regardless that he'd been so stealthy, you know, um, but he'd been in such a rush to leave because she was about to sort of raise the alarm. He left behind the silk kimono Ah. and a knotted pair of pantyhose. Yeah, so there's the kimono again. So um, the knotted pantyhose, we believe, was meant to be a gag. Um, But, yeah, he, he failed in gagging her. Now, why wasn't he caught after leaving something behind? Well, yeah, um, it, it's, it was basically due to technology and the fact that it hadn't been seen as linked to anything else. So um, it was only after going through the case as a cold case in 2016 that um, they finally ran the DNA on the kimono and they were able to link this attack to the Claremont case. Yeah, but this attack wasn't isolated, was it? 
No, there had been a fair few women who had complained that items of clothing, mostly underwear, had gone missing. Um, and it wasn't just from clotheslines, you know, but from actually inside their home. So Edwards was actually breaking into people's houses and rifling through their underwear drawers and stealing underwear. You know, now this actually started in 1987, you know, before the kimono. And so the fact that the kimono that was left at the Huntingdale home was linked to another break and enter, um, you know, it's just sort of we're, we're starting to see a pattern evolve that people later wouldn't realise was the start of his escalation. But the thing that gets me, Edwards was even seen at a few locations. I know. It's it's absolutely crazy now when you look at it and it's just amazing that the, the amazing cold case detectives found these links later, you know, but it was um, on January 21, so this is just over three weeks before the rape of ALH, um, Edwards was caught attempting to break into another home in the same street around 3am, you know, but one of the residents saw him, disturbed him, and he actually took off. And the description they gave matched Edwards at that time. How was he described? Well, he was um, described as approximately 30 years of age. He was 180 centimetres tall, so he's a pretty tall guy, quite chubby, um, with a short, dark hair, but was wearing a Japanese-style wraparound. Ah, the same as the kimono, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this close call didn't stop him. No, he, he actually headed that same night. So while the police are at one house because there had been an intruder, a couple of doors down he actually um, went into another home and was actually going through the spare bedroom's uh, drawers looking for underwear and a woman saw him and screamed as well and he took off still wearing the same kimono. <laughs> but he tried that home again. Yeah, so after he'd been into this house and he'd broken into a house up the street. Um, he returned to this second home um, and it was only purely because the woman then had her dog inside with her and the dog heard him and started barking and that's when he, he took off. Now, he didn't actually get inside the home this time but he'd actually taken the fly screen off and was heading into her bedroom. Right. Then on the 11th of February, he again broke into another residence. Yeah, and again, the same thing. We have a woman at home sleeping at night and he's going through her underwear drawer again. And the fact is that she heard him and woke up and sat up in bed and there he is sort of um, crouched down in front of her underwear drawer, you know, and so she was able to scream and he again took off wearing the same kimono. Now, aren't these homes, they're all near Edward's home, aren't they? Yeah, they're literally in walking distance. So um, had he been caught, he would have said, no, I'm just out for a walk. But who goes for a walk at 3 or 4 a.m. except for probably me? I was about to um, say. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he didn't drive to these locations. And this is important because this is how he then escalates later is by using his car. But for these events, he he made sure that what he was taking was usually small items. He would do it at night, you know, in in that witching hour of 3 to 4 a.m. And he would target women specifically that met his sort of specific um, type. Now, there's a big issue that that comes up later um, with uh, Kira Glennon is that the photo that they would release of her, she was quite thin. Now, um, Edwards actually chose women that had curves. So um, they then had to release a second photo of Kira Glennon that showed her with, with more weight on her because they knew that this was part of his pattern and these women too had curves. Right, gotcha. Um, what happened in the second case? Well, it's quite weird is um, that it is actually 12th of February 1995. So 
Seven years later, almost to the day, it was actually struck again. And um, this time it is uh, the woman that we know as KJG. Um, she was grabbed from behind. Now she was out walking early hours and Edwards actually pushed her to the ground and shoved a gag in her mouth. So here, here we see that specific es escalation and success. He then tied her feet together. That, that really is an escalation. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, he has just spent seven years worrying about being caught again because of the Hollywood hospital attack. And then he had an attack on ALH. And so he he kept up the peeping Tom but didn't want to attack again. But this is like exactly seven years. Um, and he knew that when that moment came, he had to be ready. So he went out on the prowl that night to find the right person. So once he had KJG bound and gagged, what did he do next? Well, he just picked her up and he drove her to uh, the Karakata Cemetery where he raped her. Now, um, he then put her back into the car and drove her to Bushland where he dumped her. Again, this is going to be part of his signature. So she was actually able to get help and a rape kit was done um, and that actually preserved the DNA that um, Edwards left. So once again, it took until 2016 for, for, for the match to be made and linked to the other cases. Right. And, and even though he'd waited seven years, as far as we can tell, he didn't wait so long for the next victim. No, and this is where we hit um, the serial killer case of Claremont. So um, it was uh, January 26, 1996. Now, uh, January in Australia, that is a public holiday, so there's people out and partying and everything, and 18-year-old Sarah Spears was out with friends at the Ocean Beach Hotel in Cottesloe. Um, and it was just after midnight, her sister drove her to Club Bayview, which is in Claremont, and she stayed there until 2am, and where she's actually caught on camera walking out onto the street. She goes to a telephone box and... And at 2.06, she calls for a taxi. Now, that taxi arrives two minutes later, but she he couldn't see anyone looking for a taxi, and so he sort of had it down and grabbed another fare. You know, but a witness later claims that they also heard a female screaming around 3 a.m. at nearby Mossman Park. So it's assumed that this was the attack on Sarah Spears, but, of course, her body has never been found. When there's no body, how hard is it to try someone? Well, it's extremely hard. And, I mean, we've actually had a case in this country in Queensland where a serial killer was um, charged with several murders and several no bodies. Now, one of those bodies turned up to be a girl who was living in her boyfriend's cupboard for five years and every time welfare come looking for her, she was nowhere to be seen because she was hiding in a cupboard. Right. So she was actually um, brought into court and, and this was reasonable doubt then if... You had no body and so you make the assumptions that there has been a murder. It's not always going to be proven to be correct because people do turn up later that are assumed to be dead. So without a body, it's really hard to find a cause of death. Now, that's the most important thing because if you can't define a cause of death, you can't define it as murder. So this is why it's something... The Sarah Spears um, case was basically pinned on at the very last second, so they put it all together. They maybe should have waited and left that case off because now we're in double jeopardy laws and we can't sort of do anything with that case now. Is this why this is the case he was found not guilty of committing? Yeah, because there is no, there is no body, there is no cause of death, so there is reasonable doubt. So, I mean, we... I mean, we make the assumption and it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat, you know, she's both dead and alive until that that one of those can be proven false by finding her body. Yeah. If they don't find a body, they can't prove death. So, yeah. Um, but this also means something else, doesn't it? Well, it does because Edwards now has a bargaining chip. 
and this is the most important part that he now has in his pocket that if he wants to go through his appeals, if he wants to apply for parole, he can actually say, well, I can give up this case for you. I can admit guilt. I can do something with this. I can tell you where she's buried. I can do all of this. So this has given him a point of power. Well, your point was proven when the Western Australian Premier, Mark McGowan, spoke after the verdict. If you know where Sarah Spears is, can you please tell us? Can you please tell us? Can you please provide some closure to the Spears family to let them know where their daughter is? At times like this, it's the time to do the right thing by the family. It's the time to give them some comfort out of all this pain. Now, Amanda, the term closure, it's tossed around so often, especially after verdicts. You've alluded to the fact earlier on in this podcast that there really is no such thing. No, there is no such thing as closure. I mean, there's because there's not going to be any less pain because this man's been found guilty. You know, the the punishment won't make the family feel better. So the loss is immeasurable and that pain will never go away for them. So though they have answers, you know, it's it's something that they have to live with and they're now linked to this case forever. We will know these girls' names forever purely because they're linked to Edwards. And so this is going to be something for them that, you know, will never end. So calling it closure, that there's a closure to the case for some of the families, but, you know, I think it's I think it's what we want to hope is for finality. You know, it's like people saying that they're in a better place when people pass away. This isn't going to fix any of that, but it just gives some people that moment that they can go, you know, I don't have to sit through court every day. I don't have to look at every person walking down the street and wondering if that's the killer. Those things have closed, but that pain doesn't close. Yeah. Um, You've spotted something in this, haven't you? Yeah, well, I mean, there was the light case strategy that they used. So like the Belanglo case, the Spears case can be linked to the previous two attacks because of the nature of the disappearance and how important the date is. I mean, this is, again, almost the same date as the previous two attacks. So they were both in early February and this was in late January and, as I said, the public holiday weekend. Um, But this is also where the prosecution actually lost one of their major points. So uh, they were not allowed to use the attacks to link to the murders. So this is where the defence got their single win and this is how they got the Spears case um, as a not guilty because Spears could be linked to the previous two sexual assault victims but they weren't allowed to link it. So they had to link Spears to uh, Sarah and Jane, um, to Jane and Kira's murders and it didn't work. Okay, gotcha. Um, Back on the chronological events... Edwards escalated again, right, with less time between Sarah's disappearance and that of his second murder victim, Jane Rimmer. Yeah, so now it's less than six months, so he obviously has a taste for it because he was actually doing, as I said, January, February was his his time frame. So going into June, and this was um, Friday, June 8th, so we're in, in winter now, so this is a big change for him and 
out of his his pattern. So our 23-year-old Jane was actually out with friends and it was the end of the working week, as as we all, all do, and she was also at the Ocean Beach Hotel in Cottesloe before she headed to the Continental Hotel in Claremont around 10pm. Now, midnight, she left with her friends and most of them sort of piled into a taxi because, you know, we don't drink and drive, but she decided <laughs> to wait around. Why she waited around, I'm not quite sure, but her friends sort of waved to her and that was the last time that she was seen alive. Oh, God, if you were her friends, you'd carry so much yeah. guilt. When was her body found? Well, her body was found actually two months later on August 3 and it was found in bushland. So she was very badly decomposed because she had been exposed to the elements all that time. When, when her body's in a bad condition like that, is there or was there any evidence they were able to get? Um, well, with her body being... Um, sort of in, in, in later stages of decomp, it actually makes it hard to determine a cause of death. But her neck had an injury that was suggested to be related to her death, therefore it's not an accidental death and it's not a um, sudden death, you know, accidental sort of, you know, people have heart attacks and die. So there was a 17-centimetre by 10-centimetre diamond-shaped injury to the side of her neck. Uh, 17 centimetres would be about... I'd say about eight inches by about six inches for, for those in, in the US. I kind of got that right, I think. Um, now, now this injury suggests that a sharp instrument was used in a jagged and slicing action. So there was also injuries to her forearms and her elbows and her pinky fingers, which suggests that she was sort of in that boxing self-defence stance that I'm now doing on camera for Robert only um, <laughs> as she attempted to ward off the attack. So, you know, so when you put your hands up to sort of um, protect your face, you, you know, you were going to get your forearms, your elbows and and your pinky fingers attacked. So there were slices to those. Um, and also her body was covered with branches that were actually cut from a nearby tree. Now with the trees being cut rather than snapped, obviously her, her killer had a knife and obviously the injuries to her head and neck suggest that he had a knife too. Um, and what they found nearby was actually a telecom branded knife um, found and we know later that it was actually worked for telecom, which was later called Telstra just in case people get confused by that. Um, so there's a knife with that company insignia on it found in her body. <laughs> but also... One final thing that that was found, there was actually fibres in Jane's hair that matched a 1996 VS series Holden Commodore or a Toyota Lexan. So Edwards actually was driving a VS series Holden Commodore, which was his telecom work car. Cool. Wow. He... uh, Lucky. (laughs) He did not think ahead of trying to cover his tracks, did he? No, Um, I mean, and the fact that he lost his knife, I mean, you have to think that that would be terrifying when he went to look for it later because he couldn't go back to her body because, let's face it, it sat there for two months with her. So he couldn't go back and look because any point someone could have turned up and he was looking for his knife. That would have been one of his most terrifying moments like it would have been Mm. with the kimono that he he left at um, AOH's attack. Well, you know, nine months later, Edward struck again. Kira Glennon was last seen on Friday, March 14, 1997. Yeah, so um, again, 23-year-old Kira, she was out with friends and they headed to the Continental Hotel in Claremont around 11.30. Now, she only stayed for about a quarter of an hour because she said, you know, I'm done, I'm heading home. Um, she was last seen by two separate witnesses talking to someone driving a VS Holden Commodore station oh, wagon, wow. the exact same car that Edwards was driving at the time. And her body was found only two weeks later. 
Yeah, and that was going to be their their good luck for them. Um, unfortunately, it didn't end up being that way. But yeah, her, her body was found on April three. So, um, she was again found in bushland, and this time in Eglinton. Now she was fully clothed, and like Jane, she was also covered in branches. Um, she was lying face down, like Jane was, and she also had injuries to her neck on the right side. There was a large gash about twenty centimeters, which is about. Uh, 10 inches I think um, in length from her temple to her throat as well as a significant fracture so I mean this was a brutal assault Uh, there was also DNA evidence retrieved from under her fingernails that would later match Edwards so uh, she also had a long cut along her right arm and her hands and her fingernails had suffered uh, severe damage uh, which proves that once again she put up a good fight. Mm. Well it was after Kira went missing that police confirmed there was a serial killer prowling Perth's western suburbs. Here's a 10 News report from the time. We certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth as well. Um, It's no point trying to step away from that obvious likelihood that there is a person of that type in the city of Perth. It's happened again. First it was Sarah Spears, then Jane Rimmer. Now 27-year-old Kira Glennon has gone missing. From our inquiries with her family and friends, um, her disappearance is considered by us to be totally out of character. Of Irish ancestry, the young lawyer was last seen leaving the Continental Hotel in Claremont around midnight on Friday. She'd been celebrating St Patrick's Day with workmates. More than a year since the first disappearance, police are increasingly frustrated, claiming similarities between... Saying 12 months down the track, uh, over 12 months with Sarah and, and uh, nearly eight months with, uh, with Jane, and they're as committed today as they were when they first started. At the time of her disappearance, Kira Glennon was wearing a black skirt suit and a white faintly patterned blouse. Lisa Fairclough, 10 News. You know, Amanda, many of us can remember this case vividly. There was fear across the region and clubs closing early, a curfew in place to protect Perth's women, and it was found that the three women were not the only ones picked up by Edwards. There was also other possible victims who came forward. Yeah, now it's actually known as the Telstra Living Witness Project. Now, it it was quite interesting when I I saw this because it's such an odd name for something that is so important in this case. Now, seven women were offered lifts by a man in a Telstra or telecom van or car. The man's description later matched that of Bradley Edwards. So most of these women were now in their 40s and one of them was actually a few years older. Um, And they had all been partying. They all, you know, had had a couple of drinks and they then threw caution to the wind even though this serial killer case was going on and they decided to hitch rides and um even though the girls had had disappeared these girls thought no i'll be safe i'll be safe and now one of the victims um jane uberoff actually claimed that she flagged down a white station wagon thinking it was actually a taxi so um edwards was keen for her to stay in, in the car she sort of got him went oh you want a taxi he goes no no i can take you wherever you like to go um and she actually later said in court i understood that it wasn't a taxi but i didn't feel threatened or unsafe and i stayed in the car now, this is what we talk about on this podcast all the time. All the time. Yeah, yeah. If a killer appears frightening or threatening, they're not going to stay in your car. So he's friendly, jovial, chubby guy, sort of, you know, yeah, that's okay, love, get in, I'll take you home. And and this is why he was able to uh, abduct women so easily because a creepy guy running around trying to grab women off the street is going to be caught real quick. 
It is those that are friendly and unsuspecting. And this guy ended up being a little athletics coach and all this sort of stuff. And he was a nice guy. Serial killers are nice guys. And it's so shocking to some people when they hear that. But this is what happens. They know how to gain trust. Like she got into this in, into this van. Yeah, she, she had a couple of drinks, but that is no reason for her to, you know, be responsible for any anything that happened but she was able to go you know and use that quick judgment yeah he seems fine he's just a you know young guy I accidentally got in his car it was a joke we had jokes and he he drove me home and this happened for six other women as well and it just proves that people these killers do their dry runs and they probably let a lot of people in their car and go yep not you you know and they Mm. make that judgment once they're in the car and this is what he's done with his victim is that he's gone yep it's you look it's terrible but for the vast majority of people the case set dormant and people moved on but there was a possible suspect identified a few times over the years and that was huge news before it died down again. But it did remain one of Australia's largest cold cases. Little did most of us know, but behind the scenes, the WA police continued their search. Amanda, how did they hone in on Edwards? This seems to be something that hasn't really been reported. Yeah, and this is something that I actually had to dig for. So um, um, I I sort of briefly mentioned it earlier, but um, there was a cold case review that was done, but it wasn't just on the the Claremont case. They also included the Huntingdale the Huntingdale Prowler case and also DNA samples from other cases that had both been solved and unsolved. So this is um, what happened is that the Hollywood Hospital case came up and the fingerprints that were taken from Edwards during his arrest and charge for that case gave them a match to one of the other attacks. So this is Mm. how they got linked and then they then decided to go through it all. And, I mean, I could go through the data but it would bore you all all to tears but they did all of these sort of um filtering to find attacks that sort of you know had had female victims um were at night were on weekends you know and there was all of these sort of parameters that they used that they sort of um whittled down to basically only a few cases and the hollywood hospital account um attack was actually included as well as the huntingdale prowler and a few others and then they also had the um peeping tom cases and so they found that edwards from the hollywood hospital attack was going to be their prime suspect now this was only in you know 2015 2016 and so they decided that they needed to watch this guy and they did and they followed him for quite some time and then they followed him to a movie theater where he went and watched a film with with his friends and wife or whoever it was and as he walks out of the movie theater he tosses a drink cup into the bin the police picked that up took it back to the labs, had it analysed, and they had their DNA match. Well, then at 7.30am on December 12, 2016, the tactical response group, followed by homicide detectives, arrived at the door of Bradley Edwards. Now, we have the transcripts of some of the interviews that took place on camera during his arrest. We have the transcripts, not the actual audio. But there's some things in here that I want to go through, Amanda. Um, He was being told the reasons for his arrest, um, and it says the accused acted with apparent shock and surprise. So we've got uh, an officer saying, I'm going to inform you now that you are under arrest on suspicion of the willful murder of Kira Glennon. And Edwards replies, what? Jane Rimmer. And he says, 
what the fuck? And the officer continues, Sarah Spears. Edward says, what? And then the officer continues, for the aggravated sexual and abduction of KJG in 1995 in Rowe Park. Edward says, the fuck? What the fuck's going on? The sergeant says, in Rowe Park and for the break and enter an indecent assault in 1988 of AH. And Edwards replies, who? Now, these are only written transcripts here, Amanda. But again, you've spotted something. <laughs> oh, there is so much stuff going on here. Um, so, you know, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't say who. He's saying, like, what the fuck to all of these names. Now, I know many of us will know these names, and, of course, Edwards did too, but to a lay person, would they know these names, you know, and going on, it's been 20 years since the cases, you know, but um, his better answer would have been who and not what the fuck. Now, the interesting part is is that the only one who says who to is one that he had known by name. He had known that woman and had met her previously to this case. Mm. That's the interesting part there. Well, look, in a later interview, DSS Maripodi brings up the DNA evidence. Um, He says, on the 12th of February 1995, KJG was abducted from Roe Park. She was taken to Karakata Cemetery where she was raped. Edwards replies, wasn't me. The officer, your DNA? Edwards, I don't understand what you're saying. The officer has been matched to DNA obtained from KJG. Your DNA, no one else's, yours. Edwards replies, I didn't. I wish I could explain it. The officer, tell me what happened, Bradley. What happened? He says, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. The officer says, do you understand what I have just said to you? Your DNA, Edwards, yeah, you keep saying it, but it's not going to change anything. The officer says... The DNA came from semen. Explain. To which Edward says, how can I explain it? I don't know what you you mean by it. Explain it. What do you, you're assuming I've done it. It's interesting, Amanda, isn't it? He's gone from what the fuck to it wasn't me. But there are hours between these two exchanges. Is it because they've worn him down? Yeah, I mean, it's it's now we've gone to a straight to denial. So, you know, before it was more conceit. I mean, he really just sort of didn't give a shit and he's sort of like laughing in their face. But now we've got him, yep, yeah, it's not me, it's not me, and total denial. I have to say, from his language here to using telecom knives to on his victims to driving around in his telecom car, he really isn't the smartest tool in the shed. No, he's not. And he's actually quite combative and he's vulgar and he just keeps on denying it. You know, there's almost contempt here. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the tapes when we can get them because this belies this person who turns up to court and sits so, like, statuesque still. Um, And here he is like, yeah, fuck off, you know. Like, it's just, it's amazing that he's he's arrogant. You know, if, if, if someone come to you and said, I'm, I'm arresting you f- basically because you're a serial killer. You're going to deny it. And he's just going, what the fuck? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's a poor lie. Right. Well, the interview continued with DSS Maripodi telling him that the DNA also matched DNA found on Kira Glennon. The sergeant says, you sure? Kira Glennon, 27 years of age, taken from Claremont on the 14th of March, 1997, murdered and dumped on Pippadini Road in Englanton. 
The male DNA profile from the KJG matter is the same as the DNA profile recovered in this matter here. What happened, Bradley? I don't know. Wish I could explain it. Say I was wherever. I don't know. Brad, your daughter said that your most prized virtue is your honesty. This is your chance to show that she's right. I'm being honest. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, I heard what you said. Yes, I heard what you said. Your daughter, your daughter has said your prized virtue is your honesty. I don't know what to say. Are you a man that accepts responsibility for his actions? Yes, I am. Now is the time to accept your responsibility. I, I accept responsibility for stuff I've done, not stuff I haven't done. Mm. And the Oscar goes to. <laughs> <laughs> you do that at the end. Can I just? I, I just have to in, interject here. This is what Robert used to do in class. <laughs> he would play multiple roles, and I just, I, I just had a flashback to like 1991. Well, I don't even fantastic. know what Edward sounds like, but I just had to make him it different. It was great. It was great. It worked for me. Sorry, you've interrupted an artist. <laughs> I have. I'm sorry. I accept responsibility for stuff I've done, not stuff I haven't done. Hmm. Do you know what that is? No. It's a kimono, a dressing gown. Yep. You should know what it is. Why? Your DNA has been located in a number of locations on that item. Your DNA. No one else's. Yours. Impossible. Never seen that before. Never seen it before. No. Hadn't worn it. No. It's her bedroom there. That item was left there. She was attacked in her bedroom, Bradley. I didn't do it. Tell me about about where this came from. I don't know what it is or where it's from. So, Amanda, end scene. Uh, <laughs> from there, we know two years later the trial began. Amanda, why was this a judge-only case? Wasn't Why wasn't there a jury? Um, well, an appeal was actually put in quite early for the trial to be by judge only due to a variety of reasons. Now, the first one is because it was going to be quite lengthy and tumultuous, you know, and everyone knew that this was going to be basically the case of the century for, for, for WA. So yeah. having a jury actually changes the dynamic of a case. So um, you then have, you know, uh, jury m- m- members getting ill or dropping out or um you know, don't understand what's going on. And because there had been like 20 plus years of publicity with this it's case. Such a well known case. Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the issue because regardless of where they took the jewelry pool from, everyone will know the case in WA and obviously they can't take it to a different state. Um, and so they knew that there would be prejudice against it. And then we have all of that uh, scientific evidence, the DNA, the fibres, mm. the analysis of all of that. They believed that would be too confusing for a layperson and if a judgment is then made by um, people who don't know these things um, and it gives them that extra ability to um, appeal because... It's a jury of their peers and their peers aren't going to know the difference between DNA being tainted and all that sort of stuff, you know. And then finally their final appeal on it was because of the evidence of the body. Now, we hadn't heard about the the injuries these women had sustained until the court case. So, um, And even the families hadn't been told. So they decided that it was going to be so graphic because they needed to... um, put up photos of the uh, the wounds on these girls and they had been you know, de- decomposing for quite some time that they thought that this would actually cause more harm and probably a prejudice as, as well. So they thought a jury shouldn't have to look at these photos and they thought that if they did look at these photos, regardless of the evidence, they would um, make him guilty. 
Mm. Well, it seemed to work ever so slightly in his favour with two guilty verdicts instead of three. Edwards would be sentenced in December for the two murders as well as the other charges that he confessed to last year. Amanda, you have been very sick lately. We are slightly late with this episode, but thank you for pulling yourself together to be able to record this. I know you actually have been struggling a lot. Um, yeah, fascinating okay. case. <laughs> Quick turnaround. I've got a broken knee. I've got a torn shoulder. I have a lung infection and a migraine. But hey, I, th- this is my favourite thing in the world to do. So I would drag myself out of bed to get this done. <laughs> now I'm going back to bed after this anyway. Indeed. Thank you very much, Serial Killer Thank Whisperer. You. We will see you very soon. Hey. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 